Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 8.30 or 11 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. Scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me there. If you don't have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to grab one off the hymnal shelf in front of you or to use your phone uh, that you might uh, find a copy of the Scripture. If you're worshiping online with us, I invite you just to open up another uh, window there in your browser or get your phone out so that you can have the Scriptures there with you. I'll be reading 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. And out of reverence for the Lord and for His Word, would you stand with me now as we listen together for the Word of the Lord? For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Pray with me, please. Good Father, we give you thanks for your kindness and your goodness and your grace. And we thank you for your word upon which we can build our lives. Lord, we thank you that your word is not just good wisdom that may or may not prove true depending on what we are going through, but that your word is truth 
upon which we can find a firm foundation. And so, Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask now that you would teach us, that you would shape us, that you would move among us, that you would come and visit us with your truth and your spirit and your work so that we might align ourselves more completely to you, the head of the body. We give you praise and thanks and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I have uh, come to love the most uh, since moving to Opelika this summer uh, is that I have become a fan of the Opelika High School Bulldogs. Now, some of you know my story and know that this has been a transition in my life. There was a season in my life uh, where I was a fan of the Auburn High School Tigers, but I've seen the error of my ways. Uh, I am now hoping to have uh, three children graduate from Opelika High School, and so uh, we are deeply entrenched as fans in our house. It's uh, been amazing uh, to think about six months ago. I didn't know anything about Opelika High School other than a memory from when I was growing up in Auburn that they were the team that we played once a year. Uh, but in the last six months, I've found out all kinds of things. Uh, I found out just the fact that we have three coaches right here in our church and many players connected to our youth ministry. And uh, I've learned all kinds of things about traditions and songs and the things that happen. And we've now begun to plan our Friday evenings around uh, football schedules. And uh, we begin to think about when home games are. And uh, I got two tickets when we moved to town. And so uh, I've spent this fall rotating uh, the home games, taking my boys uh, to high school football games. And so one week I'll take my older son and we'll go and we'll have a great time. And then the next home game, I'll take my younger son and we'll go and we'll have a great time. And we have just all uh, bought Opelika High football uh, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, my oldest son now plans his Friday uh, wardrobe based on whatever the theme of the week is, that he wants to make sure he has the proper Opelika shirt lined out that he can wear uh, on game days. My younger son borrows Opelika clothes from a friend uh, because he wants to make sure that he's upping his uh, fan game every week and that he has on uh, the best shirt for that time. But it's not just my kids. Uh, I've learned all kinds of things. I've been to enough games that uh, I know some of the players. Uh, that I can see places over the course of the, the season where they've improved. I know uh, the, the things that are better than they were at the beginning of the season. And I've gotten to the point, uh, and this may be debatable, that I can even carry on a somewhat uh, normal conversation about the team with a couple of the coaches in our church. Now, that might be a step too far, uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that we all love it. We have become fans. We have learned stats. Uh, and we just build all of our life around it. The dictionary defines being a fan as being an enthusiastic admirer. Uh, I wonder what you're a fan of. Uh, I bet this morning we have some Braves fans in the room uh, who stayed up late last night to see uh, uh, the prize we've been waiting for for 22 years that hopefully will lead to the next prize. Uh, but like our kids said this morning, there's all kind of things that we're fans of. You might be a fan of a sport in general, or you might be a fan of a team. We probably have Auburn fans. I know we have some folks who aren't Auburn fans in here. We won't talk about that uh, too much. Uh, maybe you aren't a, a whole team fan. Maybe you have an individual sport. So you like Auburn basketball, or you like SUNY Lee or the gymnastics. Uh, you can be a fan of one athlete. Some of you uh, know more about Bo Nix than his mama knows about him. Y'all uh, know when his feet set and when he throws and where he can throw to and where he can't throw to. And, and you feel like you, you might know more than Bo Nix knows about Bo Nix because that's what fans do. We learn uh, stats and details and we admire things. And it's not just with sports. 
Now, you can be a fan of all kinds of things. You can be a fan of celebrities or movies or restaurants or food, of a podcast, of a political figure, of a television show. And we find these things that we latch onto that we love. Uh, and that when we love them, we, we learn about them and we uh, build our lives around them and we're excited about them. Uh, and this idea of being a fan uh, is something that's important for us to think about. It's especially important for us to think about when we think about our faith life. When we think about what it looks like for us to, to follow Jesus well. Uh, if you were here last week, then you know that one of the things that we talked about uh, is that lifetime followers of Jesus serve. Uh, it's non-negotiable and it's the, the one way that we're guaranteed to grow. Uh, and so this idea of being a fan and what does it mean to be an enthusiastic admirer of something is especially important when we begin to think about what it will look like for us to serve and what it looks like for us to follow Jesus well. Uh, and as much as we're admirers, could it be that God is calling us to something more? When we come to the text that I read just a few minutes ago out of 1 Corinthians, we join uh, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, in the middle of this uh, long letter that he was writing to an early church. So these early churches were really just communities of people who had begun to follow Jesus. And uh, what Paul and some of the other biblical writers did is that they would write to them to try and answer the struggles or questions or hardships that they were facing in trying to figure out how they were going to kind of live out uh, this faith that, that was this newfound experience for them. And so what we find in 1 Corinthians particularly is one of the most kind of applicable and uh, logical books uh, that Paul wrote. That It's almost like an encyclopedia in some ways, that, that he goes through this kind of laundry list of topics uh, trying to help them deal with some of the things that they were bumping up against. And so in the places where they were struggling, he tried to give God's wisdom and direction about what it would look like for them to function uh, and exist in a healthy whole way, seizing and grasping the fullness of what it is that God really wanted for them. Uh, and so he's kind of worked his way through uh, the first two-thirds or so of this letter. Uh, and when he gets to chapter 12, to the text that I read just a few minutes ago, he kind of shifts gears just a little bit. He doesn't move completely out of this idea of uh, kind of offering insight about uh, some of the things they were facing, but he kind of pulls the lens back. And the way that he begins to talk about this now is in a, a kind of much more poetic or big picture way, uh, that he wants to kind of connect the biggest dots and help people kind of embrace fully this grand vision that God has for what we would call the church, but for this community of people seeking to follow Jesus together. And the way that Paul does this uh, is he builds this contrast to begin with uh, between what it looked like in our lives before we followed Jesus and what it should look like after we've become followers of Jesus. And so kind of as he's working up to this, the way that he describes our life before we followed Jesus uh, was he says that when you were uh, without Christ, when you were living in the way of the world, that you functioned as kind of an independent, autonomous self. Uh, that you were the Lord of yourself, that you were in charge of yourself, uh, and that kind of an, as an independent being, you moved around and did whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted, that you could have whatever guiding principles or values in your life that were guiding you. Uh, and that was the way that life worked when you were separated from Christ, that you were kind of the Lord of your own little kingdom. And then he says that what happens is that when you put your faith in Christ, when you chose to say, I want to be a lifetime follower of Jesus Christ, he said the, the way that you view yourself uh, and the way that we view the body of our people gathered together completely changes. He says, rather than you functioning as an independent, autonomous self, now you are the part of a larger whole. 
and that no longer are you in charge of yourself. No longer are you calling the shots in your own life. No longer do you allow whatever you feel or whatever whim or whatever notion you may have to be the thing that's driving you, that now you are a part of a greater body. And of that greater body, Jesus is the head of the body. And so Jesus, who is our Lord and master, uh, is the one who calls the shots. And that we align ourselves and submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to function as a part of his body. Uh, As Paul kind of unpacks all this, this image of the body makes complete sense. I mean, we don't have to go far to understand the analogy that Paul uses when he begins to talk about the different parts of the body and how if one says to the other, I don't need you, or if uh, one thinks that their part doesn't matter and another does, it, it begins to resonate with us easily. The American Association of Anatomists says that in our human bodies, that there are 7,500 identifiable parts. Uh, that scientists and doctors and all those people who know those things, that they can uh, look at various aspects of your body, and those are individual parts that can all be named. Uh, And what we see is that while each of those parts can be named, is that none of them functioning by themselves, independent of the rest of the body, really do any good. They might can exist for a little while separated from the body, uh, and our bodies might can exist for a little while if one of those parts don't work. Uh, But eventually, if there's parts of our body that aren't functioning the way they're designed to, fitting into the larger whole of how our body is designed to work, uh, then eventually we're seeking medical attention. I mean, you can think about it as you think about the athletes that you like, or you can think about Bo Nix or the Braves or whoever it is that you're cheering for, uh, and you see these performers perform at elite levels. And if their bodies are not all working together, kind of organized and aligned to this greater goal, there is no way that it is possible for them to perform at the level that we love to watch. Uh, This isn't just true of you know, sports stars or the folks that we like to watch in the games that we like. Uh, This is true in all kinds of ways. I mean, you can begin to to take Paul's thinking and add it to your own life. uh, And it seems to make sense that if you think about your own body, uh, you understand this too. Uh, So if uh, your heart was only beating 50% of the time, uh, you, you would have a problem. Uh, you would begin to seek medical attention. If you only had 30% of your teeth, uh, you would need help. If your eyesight diminished uh, at some level, you would seek infirmities. If your lung was only working at 10% of its capacity, as some of you and those you love may have found out dealing with COVID, then immediately you know that when our bodies aren't working the way that they're designed, is that we're seeking help to repair them or improve them or we're dealing with the consequences and the long-term effects that come from our bodies not functioning properly uh, over time. So if this is the image that Paul is using uh, of what the body looks like, uh, then it's important for us to think about this in regard to the church. Because essentially what Paul is saying to the believers that he was writing to is that if your community of faith is working right, it should be working like a body that's working right. And so just the way that a doctor might give us a checkup so that we could evaluate what was working and was what wasn't working, we can do the same as we think about First United Methodist Church. I told you last Sunday, uh, if you were here, you listened to our podcast or you watched online, uh, that uh, one of the first uh, things that I committed to when I became the senior pastor at First United Methodist Church was really to listen 
uh, that I wanted to listen and learn as much as I could from as many people as I could about what was true about this congregation and uh, where they believed God was working and what God was calling us to and what the next steps would be as we begin to move into the future. And I told you last week that the thing that I heard uh, probably over and and above everything else from the youngest children to the the oldest members of our church is that there is this deep desire uh, inside of this church for real growth. Uh, that there seems to be a resistance to wanting to just go through religious motions or just activities for the sake of activities. But people, I think, coming out of COVID and in this season of the world are like, we want something that's meaningful. We want something that has consequence. We want something that is transformative. We want to grow into the fullness of what God wants. And that message is clear. Uh, And that's why I love our mission of making lifetime followers of Jesus, because that is the work that we are committed to. But another thing that I learned really clearly as I listened over these last few months is that we do not do a very good job of serving in our church. So I told you the story last Sunday about a Sunday night a few weeks back where we had over 100 kids, elementary, junior high, and high school, who were here for Sunday night activities and uh, lots of excitement, kids from unchurched homes, from churched homes, uh, you know, kids that had been in the church, family, all these kind of things, and it was wonderful. But on that night, we had zero adults who were here to serve those kids. Uh, We had no adults that were coming alongside to build relations and invest in them. We had no adults that were helping serve meals or hold doors open or prepare the way. And and so we missed a chance both to impact those kids the way that they deserve to be impacted and for us to grow ourselves. Because lifetime followers of Jesus serve, it's non-negotiable, and it's the way we grow. Uh, But what I found is that this wasn't just one isolated event, is that really that this is more of the norm than the exception. On Sunday morning with both our children and youth, the same story is true. On a good Sunday, there may be three or four or five adults who are serving consistently with our youth and our children. Even with adults, uh, when it comes to adults, there is a void of people who are willing to teach or facilitate Sunday school classes. There seems to be a kind of recurring theme in this church to think that if you're going to teach a Sunday school class, that you either need to be on staff or be married to someone who is on staff. Uh, I've learned of multiple classes in our church that uh, if their regular teacher can't be there and they can't get one of those people that supposedly are the specially deemed Sunday school teachers, then they just don't meet. And that's when you read 1 Corinthians 12, that's after we know that Paul clearly says there are people among us who are gifted as teachers, that God has given the gift that some of you have worked careers teaching, but for some reason there's a disconnect to say, what would it look like to use my gift to serve in the church? On a normal Sunday morning, I mean, you can look around and we have a few people who serve regularly. There's a handful of folks who serve as ushers, although Mike McKee told me that when they had an invitation, uh, offered an invitation for people to come and sign up, that they only had four people who responded to the meeting. And those four people were all people who were already committed to serving as ushers and on security. Uh, We have a couple of people who run the camera, but it's the same person every week. We have our choir who serves. Uh, And I don't know enough about our choir or particularly these people. Uh, These are people who give of themselves to lead in worship. But in many churches, uh, the choir is no longer about serving, about selflessly giving yourself away for the sake of others. The choir becomes the people who like the same music together, and it's a way to make sure that they get the things that they want the most. I don't know if that's true here. I'm not saying anything. But I know that is the case in some churches. 
During the week, we may have a few people who come in and serve, who help carry flowers to shut-ins or work around the church on Wednesday night. And to be sure, we have a few rock stars. Uh, I don't want you to hear me say that there aren't some people who are uh, carrying way more than their share of the work. But the truth of the matter is, is that if we have 300 people in worship today, we'll be hard-pressed to have 30 who are serving on a consistent basis. That's 10%. That's 10% of the body working. That's 10% of the body functioning the way that it was designed to. If you take that analogy that Paul uses to help us understand the body working well, and you apply that to your own life, if only 10% of your body was working, do you know where you'd be? You'd be in ICU at EAMC if you could get a bed. And you'd be there hoping that they could put you back together. Now, I don't think that the message of this for where we are today uh, is so dire that we need to uh, sound the bell of, uh, you know, the end is near. But I think just like a doctor might give you a warning to say, if something doesn't change, there's going to be long-term effects and ramifications that you won't be able to overcome. Is that we need to hear these words from Paul and what God's desire and design for the church is, uh, is words to help us get ourselves back on course to what God wants for His church. Now, I don't tell you any of this uh, to shame you or condemn you. Uh, Jesus does not do shame and condemnation, uh, and I won't do it either. Although I will say again that if you feel that prick or challenge or nudge inside of you, that that is the Holy Spirit convicting you. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, receive that and respond to what God is doing in you. I tell you this with the same spirit that Paul wrote to his friends with. Paul was a man whose life had been radically transformed by the gospel and by the power of the Spirit. Paul was a man who had spent the early part of his life uh, persecuting and imprisoning and even killing those people who sought to follow Jesus. And he had such a radical change in his own life uh, that he spent the rest of his life uh, trying to invite people into the faith and then help people live into the fullness of what it was that God wanted for them. And it was as he did this that he began to write these letters to say, I want to do whatever I can to help those people that I love not miss what it is that God wants for them. And that's why I say that to you today. I think there are probably a couple of reasons why we find ourselves in this place at First United Methodist Church right now, uh, because this certainly isn't the history of this church. This history has a, uh, this church has a, a long, beautiful history of people serving and doing incredible things in and through this church. Uh, but I, first, I think the first reason that we find ourselves in this place today uh, is COVID. Uh, it's easy and nice to blame it out there and find someone else to blame for all of our problems. But the truth is, is COVID threw a wrench in everything. You don't need me to tell you that, but in the church particularly, many of the things that had once been well-oiled machines that just happened and groups of people who did things and the ways that people served, all of a sudden, uh, like a needle scratching across a record, all of that stopped. And so the things that just kind of seemed to happen naturally began to stop happening naturally. And all of a sudden, the, what we were doing wasn't working and we couldn't do it the same way. And so that's brought us to this place where we had then had to figure out how to start things back. 
Uh, and now we know enough about COVID, and even though it's not completely gone, we know how to manage rises and falls or variants that may come. We understand masks and all those kind of things. And so now we know uh, that even with COVID still in our midst and raising and falling, that we can begin to figure out ways to serve even in the midst of dealing with COVID in our world. The second reason that I think we find ourselves in this place uh, right now is because you just didn't know. Uh, this is partly mixed with COVID. A sweet lady who's been a part of this church for almost 40 years stopped me last Sunday, and she said, Nolan, you stepped all over my feet today. And she's like, I just didn't know that we had youth programs happening where there were no adults. I didn't know that we had these needs. And many of you find yourself in that same place where you're not serving because you don't want to serve. You're not serving because you just didn't know that there was a need to serve. Well, now you know. Uh, so we've taken care of the first two. The third reason that we find ourselves in this place has more to do with what you're going to have to wrestle through with your own life, because this ultimately comes down to answering the question, who is the Lord of your life? There is a perception in our world that ultimately gets adopted by the church uh, that says us serving is really kind of our good deed. It's about us. It's a way that we make ourselves feel good. It's a kind of our altruism or our philanthropic nature. Uh, and so we see uh, ourselves as volunteers. Uh, I actually try and avoid using the word volunteer because volunteer is very much about me. But when we serve, it's very much about God or who we're serving. And so when we move into serving, uh, we shift out of this place of saying, I'm doing this as a favor to you. Uh, it's kind of that sense that, that Patrick mentioned at the prayer time uh, of saying that this isn't about maintenance of church programs, that this is about us participating with what God is doing. And I think for many of us, we've adopted the world's view of serving. And so that, that says that I'm going to serve when it's convenient for me. Uh, that if I'm the arm of the body, that I'll show up and wave, you know, once every six weeks, but then that arm's just going to hang there and not do anything the rest of the time. Uh, or maybe someone else will come and pull that arm up and wave it for them. Uh, but, but we don't uh, see it as something that we're functioning as a part of a whole. We think that ultimately it's about me. And so at some point you may go, well, you know, I've done enough of that. And so I'm going to let other people do it now. But if we're really approaching serving from what we saw last week with Jesus as our Lord and Master, saying that if you are a follower, that you must be a servant, and if you're not serving, you're really not a follower. If we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, where we see we're all part of the body, and Jesus is the head, and he's the control, our, our roles in serving might change, but we don't graduate from serving. We don't retire from serving. Uh, serving is how we participate in what God is doing. God certainly doesn't need you and me to serve. You know, God's not sitting up on his heavenly throne this morning going, how are we going to make disciples of all those teenagers in Opelika? Man, what am I going to do uh, if I can only talk a few more people into serving? If God wanted to make disciples of the teenagers in Opelika, he'd go, boom, and they'd be made. But what he does is he invites us into the work because we need the serving. It's not that he needs us to do it. It's we need what happens when we serve. It's the way that we grow. Lifetime followers of Jesus serve. It's non-negotiable. And it's how we demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. Let me say that again. Lifetime followers of Jesus serve. It's non-negotiable. And it's how we demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. As long as serving is on your terms, it's not serving. It's volunteering. But when we say, yes, Lord, I want what you want more than what I want. It becomes a way for us to participate in what God is doing. And God has untold blessing that he wants us to know in our life when we serve in that way.
Lifetime followers of Jesus serve. It's non-negotiable. And it's the way we demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. You know what nobody has given me? Uh, in my whole quest to become a fan of the Opelika High School Bulldogs, you know what nobody has ever handed me? A jersey. Coach Speakman even invited me to come and speak to the team before one of the games. Our church provided a meal for the team after practice one day. Uh, and when I was there, uh, after I finished, as I was getting ready to leave, he gave me another T-shirt. He didn't give me a jersey because he knew I was a fan. You see, there's a difference between a fan and a player. You know, I'm a fan and I, I really like it a lot. And our life has begun to rotate around over like a football. But really, a fan is about me. Because that game that it rained a little before the game, uh, I, I decided I'd get there late. Uh, I didn't show up right at the beginning because I didn't want to get wet. Uh, and the game that I went, that my son got a little tired and was kind of sleepy. I was like, well, maybe we'll just go on and go home early. You know, this game's well enough in hand. You know who can't do that at all? The players. It doesn't matter what the score is. It's not like they can go, well, yeah, I'm going to play wide receiver for this set. Uh, but then I'm going to go up and eat popcorn with my friends in the stands. I'll come back later and catch up this. Even the night of the homecoming dance, all the players were there. They were on the field they were in. I've never broken a sweat for the Opelika High football team. Well, there was that overtime game that I kind of sweated a little bit, but, but, but not because I was doing anything. You know, I've never invested anything. I've never, it's never cost me anything. I've never had to give, in, give myself in any great way. Being a fan is all about me. I cheer along, and when it's convenient, I'm there. I think the difference of what we need right now is we need to move from t-shirts to jerseys. That we need to move from being fans to being players. That we don't just participate when it's convenient or when it works well for us or when we don't get another option or a better offer, uh, that then we say, okay, well, I guess I'll do what I can. But I think what we need to move from is being fans to being followers. Because lifetime followers of Jesus serve it's non-negotiable, and it's how we demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. I love this quote from Kyle Eidelman in his book, Not a Fan. He says, My concern is that many of our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to becoming stadiums. And every week, all the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus, but have no interest in truly following Him. The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. Lifetime followers of Jesus serve. It's non-negotiable. And it's the way we demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. It's time for us to move from t-shirts to jerseys. Pray with me, please. God, thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. Lord, thank you for your truth that desires our very best. Lord, thank you for your plan and your way that is better than our plan and our way. And Lord, forgive us for the places where we thought we could keep you on our terms and not submit ourselves to yours. And Lord, we declare together as one body uh, that you are the head, that you are the leader, and that we surrender and submit ourselves to you. Lord, you modeled serving to us and for us, even to the cost of your very life. And Lord, we pray that you would build a culture among us 
of folks who serve not out of obligation or resentment or duty, but out of the joy and life that comes from serving you. Lord, breathe your Spirit into us that we might serve you with joy and with faithfulness. That you might use us to make a difference both in this church and in this community and all around the world. We pray all of this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus and all God's children said, Amen.